Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. We began in 1 Samuel chapter 9. We really got through 1 Samuel chapter 9 and chapter 10. So in the weeks prior, we've been really talking about, in terms of anointing, we talked about the, the demonstration of anointing that Jacob did on the stone, the memorial stone at Bethel. Um, we've talked about how that uh, God, through Moses and Aaron, instituted the priesthood, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and how that the anointing oil was applied to all the items that were to be in God's service. We've made several points about uh, the anointing making us holy, consecrating us, separating us unto a specific purpose. That the, the memorial stone, for example, that Jacob raised up was never again a pillow for someone else. It was never again just another rock. It was a stone that was set there as a memorial to God. Uh, we talked about last week how that when Joshua, it was a side note really, but Joshua set up the tent of meeting at Bethel 553 years after Jacob's experience with God at Bethel. Now, the, the question comes up, how did they know that that was Bethel? They knew it was because of the stone. The stone was still there when Jacob's descendants got there 553 years later. It was still there standing as a memorial to God. That's how they knew where Bethel was. They set up the tabernacle there, and it remained there for uh, many, many years. Uh, then we got into, last week we got into the story of Saul, the anointing of God's first king of Israel. The people of God had decided that they did not want God to be their king. They wanted a man. And it angered the Lord. And he told them, he warned them, he said, hey, he's going to tax you. He's going to take your sons to war. They're going to do all these things as a king. This is what you're asking for. Are you sure that you want a man to be the king? And that, that's what they wanted. So God chooses Saul, the son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin. This is important because uh, when it comes to anointing in, in terms of ministry and purpose, a lot of times people look to examples of kings as to being anointed. Oh, I've set, you know, I've been, I've been chosen. I've been set to lead these people. I'm this or I'm that. And, and I, I don't know that everybody does that. I, I know that a lot of people do that. Um, when it comes to our purpose, you know, we like that, that verse in the New Testament that talks about us being a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. We, we like that. That makes us feel special, I guess. It, to me, it intimidates me because that implies responsibility. If I'm God's royal priesthood, if I'm his holy nation, if I'm one of his peculiar or unique people, then I am therefore accountable to the kind of person that I am, the kind of priest that I am, the kind of citizen that I am. But anyway, we're talking about just the, the ideas of anointing what, what we've learned, um, what we've heard versus what we're learning from the Scripture. And there's so much example in the Old Testament of, of the literal application and consecration of people uh, to the purposes of God. And, and it was no different with Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9. He was out looking for his uh, father's lost donkeys, and they, him and a servant went to inquire of Samuel the prophet. Uh, it was very cool because in the story it said that Samuel had already been told the day before. God told him, I'm sending you somebody, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, and he's going to be the next king. So when he showed up, God kind of elbows Samuel. It speaks in Samuel's ear and says, this is the one I told you about. 
But what's cool is, in preparation for Saul's uh, life about to change because of the anointing, God had told the man of God. The man of God then told the cook, and he made arrangements for Saul at the table. So there was a, a meal that was planned in, in the high place after the sacrifice was offered, and only those who were invited could attend. And when Saul showed up, Samuel said, you're going to eat with me today. And when he went to eat, there was a spot for him and his servant. There was food for him and his servant. And the point that was made last week is that when God is setting someone up to be anointed, he prepares. God doesn't do anything by the seat of his pants. We do, but he doesn't. And in Pentecostal circles, we do a lot of stuff by the seat of our pants, and we call it the Holy Spirit. Amen? Is that fair? A lot of stuff. But God prepares. God plans. God speaks. He spoke to Samuel ahead of time. The man of God prepared a place for Saul ahead of time. He prepared sustenance for Saul ahead of time. Okay, God prepares, and he uses his true men and women to help prepare others for their anointing. That's what he does. That's part of my responsibility in the house is to help prepare others for their anointing. It's to help prepare us as a church for the purpose and plan that God has called us to. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us because each and every one of us has a different part to play. But it's up to the men of God to help prepare the people of God to do the work of God. That's what it says uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. So everything was prepared for Saul, and he arrived, and then the next day Samuel says, all right, I need to talk to you before you leave. And he basically tells him the next day in 1 Samuel 10, 1, uh, he, he takes the oil out, he pours it on Saul, and he says to Saul, God has chosen you to be the ruler over his inheritance. We talked about this as well last week. It's God's inheritance, not Saul's. It's God's inheritance. The anointing is to prepare you to steward God's inheritance in the earth. If you remember when we talked about the tabernacle and the tent of meeting when Moses was setting all that up, God said, I want to make a place where I can dwell among my people. Everything was anointed to help facilitate the presence of God in the earth. We are anointed to facilitate the presence of God in the earth. A ruler over God's inheritance. There's a portion for you to rule over. There's a portion for us that God has for us. It's been prepared. It's been designated. It's been set aside. And we have been set aside unto it. But it's still His. It's not ours. We are responsible. We are accountable to God for how we, how we steward that portion. But it's His portion. It's His lot that He has given to us. And what a word to get. What a word to get. You have been chosen to, to, to rule over God's inheritance. Uh, Saul is told that he will experience several signs in chapter 10 over the course of his, his journey home. And that those signs would be to confirm what the Lord had spoken over him. One of those signs, and I want to make this statement, I don't think I said it last week. But one of those signs was that he would encounter a group of prophets. And he would see them, and when he saw them, Samuel said the Holy Spirit of God would rush upon Saul. And he would prophesy with the prophets. And he told Saul specifically, he said, hey, whatever comes to you in that moment, do it. Whatever comes to your mind, speak it, all right, is what he's saying to, to Saul. And it was not meant to tell Saul that he was a prophet, okay? Don't miss this. The experience was not about telling Saul that he was a prophet. 
the experience was about showing Saul that God could step in, use anyone for his purposes. It was about confirming to Saul the word that he was to be ruler over God's inheritance. There was a list of things that would happen, and it wasn't just the prophecy thing. Uh, somebody would, he would encounter some people, and they'd say, hey, we found your animals. That was another sign, all right? So I, I want to make sure we understand that just because we have a Holy Spirit encounter with God, it doesn't change the anointing or the purpose in our life, all right? Maybe if you're praying with somebody and God gives you a word for them, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophetic word, whatever, it doesn't make you a prophet, right? It means that God decided to use you and talk through you in that moment to help that person because God wants to help that person more than he wants to make you a prophet. Amen? If you're a prophet, awesome. Kill it. Do a great job with it. Okay? Do it. But a lot of folks get hung up because they have an experience in the, in the presence of God, and that now they're like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Well, I thought I was this or I thought I was that. No, you still are. You still are this. God just used you for a second, and because you were available and willing, he said, okay, I'm going to use you for a second, or I'm going to confirm something to someone through you. All right? So does that make sense? All right, so allow God to use you. He, he might stretch you, and he might be preparing you for that kind of a role. He might be. But the fact remains, Saul was not anointed to be the prophet in Israel, was he? He was anointed to be the king. But he had a prophetic experience through the presence of God, and it was powerful and it was amazing. It was so powerful that the people who saw it said, is, is Saul a prophet now? But Saul had to know enough about what God had said to him to know that he was not a prophet. Looked like one, sounded like one. The people thought he was one, but he had to decide whether or not he was going to run in the lane God had called him to. Does that make sense? All right. So when the signs took place, including that event, something happened to Saul's heart. The Bible says that, that he was told that he would give him a new heart. And that phrase, for give him a new heart, it actually means to overthrow to overthrow. So God says to Saul, because God wants Saul to succeed. I want you to understand this. When God chose Saul, he did not choose Saul to set Saul up for failure. He did not choose Saul so that Saul would crash and burn the way that he ultimately did. He chose Saul because he loved Saul. He chose Saul because, just like everyone else he'd ever chosen, he knew that this man had something in him that could be used to help his people. He knew that. There, was, there were good things in Saul. Now, we find out that there were terrible things in Saul, but there were good things in Saul, and God wanted to use those good things. But to do that, he tells Saul, I'm going to overthrow your heart. And this was the case we made last week, and I'm sorry for spending so much time on the recap, but I just want to make sure we're all set up before we proceed. God had to overthrow Saul's heart because Saul's heart wasn't right. Saul's heart was not in a position to do what God had anointed him to do. So God sends an assault against the, the, the heart of Saul. To overthrow it. And he uses these signs, these confirmations. He does all these amazing things to overthrow what is in Saul. And the point is that we as individuals, anointed men and women of God, called, we're all here for a purpose. We all play different parts in that purpose, but we are here to make an impact in our community. We're here to make an impact in our families and our generations. That's why we're here. What's in me will help you. What's in you will help me. Amen? That's awesome and great. But if our heart is not overthrown, if our fleshy heart remains in control, we will squander what God has anointed us to do. We're going to mess it up. And how many times do we have to see it? 
Gentlemen, how many times do we have to see men of God fall because of women? And it's nothing against the women. I think 99% of women out there aren't trying to be the object of some, some man's desire. 99.9% probably. But we're men, we're fleshy, we're visual, we're all this stuff. We're accountable to God Almighty. It doesn't matter what a woman does. You're a son of God. You're a son of God. Be one. Daughters, ladies, you're daughters of God. Be one. You don't have to just do what you feel. You don't have to just allow your heart to dictate your life anymore. The Bible says that all the issues of life flow from out of our heart. Jesus said, what goes into a man does not defile him, but what comes out of him, thus propping up what Solomon said in Proverbs. What comes out of us is what defiles us. God is ready to overthrow your heart so that you may live in the anointed place that he's called you to. He'll do it. He'll do it. Now, some people he doesn't have to do that for. Because he tells, after this whole event, he'll tell Samuel that he's found a man who's already got his heart. He's found a man that he doesn't have to do a heart changeover, an overthrow. Anyway, all right. So the heart is important. That's why Jesus went into the wilderness after he, he got the Holy Spirit. Remember he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down and set upon him. The next thing, that Holy Spirit that set on him led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and to spend 40 days with the Father. Jesus had to subdue his flesh, his heart, his desires, his mind, his will, his emotions before he ever healed anybody or did any miracle. That's why Jesus succeeded all the way to the cross. He crucified his flesh before it was ever nailed to a cross. He did it in 40 days. What if, what if all it took for men and women of God to transform the world was to give God 40 days on the front end? 40 days on the front end. Before anybody knows you or cares about anything you have to say, and this is for me too, okay? Before anybody knows us or, or cares about what we say or, or think or play or sing or whatever, what if we gave God 40 days and said overthrow our hearts, overthrow our flesh? Anyway, from there in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul was told to wait for Samuel at Gilgal for seven days. I want you to see this. From chapter 9 through about chapter 15, is about a week in the life of Saul. And I want you to understand, the beginning of the week, he's anointed king. He's made ruler over God's inheritance. By the end of the week, it's a very different outcome. One week time that God changes everything for Saul. All right? So um, we're going to pick up in chapter 11, 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14. I'm reading out of the NASB today. Saul has just won a tremendous victory over the Ammonites. A tremendous victory. He's, he's called the children of Israel together. The Ammonites said to them, we're going to oppress you. We're going to put you in subjugation. And the Israelites were weak. They said, okay, we'll do it. Uh, we'll, we'll do it. And, and, and then Ammonites said, uh, well, okay, if we're going to do it, then we're going to have to, or you're going to have to allow us to gouge out the right eye of every one of your men so that you will forever be in subjugation to us. They freak out. They go to Saul, or, or news gets to Saul, and Saul calls the children of Israel together, just a few thousand people, and he arranges them in three companies, and they attack the Ammonites, and they smite them until the heat of the day, it says. 
Very cool. They whip on them all day till it gets hot. And it says in the end, the Ammonites were so defeated, they scattered, and there were not even two of them left together. They all took off, every man for himself. That's a tremendous victory. Tremendous victory um, and for, for the new king. Verse 14, Samuel says to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now, we're going to jump to uh, chapter 13, verse 1. So Saul is now king in the eyes of all the people. This has proven to them that he is the man that God has chosen. It says, Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 42 years over Israel. There's some discrepancy over that word 40 there. In some of your Bibles, it might be in italics. And so, I, I don't know. I didn't do enough research on the front end. I apologize to see exactly how long Saul reigned. It was more than two years. We know that. I don't know that it was 42 years, but it was, it was quite a while. Um, so, Saul was 30 when he began to reign. Now, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of whom 2,000 were with Saul in Michmas and in the hill country of Bethel, uh, which is just around Jerusalem. Uh, Michmas is about 10 miles to the north. So I, I, if you can picture for, for a minute in your mind's eye the centrality of this all. Bethel was a place that Jacob renamed. It was the place for the tent of meeting. Uh, Jerusalem, what would become Jerusalem, was a city called Jabus. And it was not Jerusalem until the time of David. But it was all in that same area, very concentrated, very condensed, all right? Gilgal, all of it, right in that same area uh, together. And so Saul is in Michmas in the hill country of Bethel, while a thousand were with Jonathan at uh, Gibeah in Benjamin. He sent the rest of the people away, each to his tent. Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had become repulsive to the Philistines, so they were summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Uh, now, this is important. Now, the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. Chariots. And 6,000 horsemen. And people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmas east of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people kept themselves hidden in caves, in crevices, in cliffs, in crypts, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gil uh, Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Now remember, in chapter 10, verse 8, Samuel tells Saul, go ahead of me to Gilgal. Go there. He says, uh, behold, I'll be coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and inform you of what you should do. So just a few days after the great victory over the Ammonites, and Saul tries to drive out the Philistines. That was part of the mandate that God gave him. He said that you will deliver, you will save my people from the Philistines. That's what he said. So Saul went into action. He was not moving out of God's will by attacking the Philistines. He was doing what God had commanded him to do. They attack, and they, they go to Gilgal. They become 
surrounded, essentially, or almost surrounded by a huge host of Philistines. The word Philistine means immigrant, by the way. Peleshti in the Hebrew means immigrant. The modern-day word for Philistine is Palestinian, just so you know. I think that's interesting. Palestine means Philistine. Yes. So when the Palestinians are fighting for the land, to take the land of Palestine, it's the same group that they've been fighting for thousands of years. The, the uh, Philistines were descendants. They were from Crete, and they were descendants of a, a man named Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the Hebrew word for Egypt. He was a grandson or a great-grandson of Noah, Mitzrayim was. And he went and settled in what we know as Egypt. Some of his descendants went north across the sea into Crete and then east into the western coast of Israel, of Canaan, Palestine. So you see the connection there? It's fascinating, isn't it? I love that stuff. I geek out on it. My wife just rolls her eyes at me, but I geek out on it. <laughs> She's like, I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm like, no, no, this is, this is really cool. This is really cool. She's like, okay, it's, it's cool. It's cool, but I need to go to sleep. So the Philistines, the Philistine host has come against Israel, against Saul at Gilgal. Saul is where he is supposed to be. He has done what God wanted him to do. He attacked the Philistines. He's not outside of God's will. A lot of times we think that because an enemy arises, we've stepped outside of God's will. I would counter. I would say almost 100% of the time when an enemy rises against you, you are right in the middle of God's will. You're right where you ought to be. So be encouraged. As, as, that's an odd encouragement, isn't it? Be encouraged. If you're taking blows, if you're taking hits, if you're being overwhelmed, it's because you are where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. Amen. The enemy's not going to fight somebody who's not a threat. What good enemy would do that? So Saul is to wait at Gilgal for Samuel. Now let's skip ahead to 1 Samuel 13. There's so much to read. If you want to read these chapters verse by verse, go for it. It's really, really cool. But for the sake of time, which we don't have, we're not going to be able to do that. 1 Samuel 13 verse 8 says, Now he waited for seven days until the appointed time that Samuel had set. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. Now, this is important. We were talking about the heart, the overthrowing of the heart. Time bears everything out in life in general, but especially in the life of a believer. That's why patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Because time, a lot of people see time as an enemy. It can be a great ally. Time will bear out. There are many times where somebody says they will or won't do something, and all you really need to do is just sit back and wait and see. Just wait and see. It'll come out. It'll come out. Dysfunctional people aren't patient people. Amen? So, and, and conversely, if you have impatience in you, that's dysfunction. You need to work on that. Let the, let the fruit of the Spirit grow that in you. And we, we all do. I'm not, I'm not preaching from the ivory tower on that one. But they're in the place that God has called them to, and, and Saul's heart has been overthrown. He's had these awesome experiences in the presence of God, and that's great. It's amazing. But now, time has elapsed. Time has passed. It's been at least seven days. We could estimate that maybe from the time that Saul encountered Samuel up until this point, it's been a little over a week. And now, yeah, maybe, maybe eight or nine days tops based on how I read it. 
Okay, I could be wrong. Give me grace. So the span of a week, week and a half. He's been at Gilgal now for seven days. He's fought great battles. He's won great victories. He's been anointed king twice, once by Samuel, once by the people. He's confirmed. He's right in the center of God's will, but time is beginning to pass. He waited for seven days, but he did not see Samuel. And the people were starting to scatter from him. Listen, you don't always need people around you to be in the center of God's will. This is a hard lesson. Saul learns it, and we'll see in just a second. Sometimes we think we've got to have people surrounding us all the time, and we don't. Jesus, to fulfill the plan of God for his life, had to do it by himself. And that doesn't mean we all have to do that. And Jesus' case was, was pretty unique, obviously. But we, we also don't need to rely on everyone to do what God has called us to do. Okay? So the people were beginning to scatter, and it was making Saul nervous. He said, so Saul said in verse 9, bring me the burnt offering and peace offerings. Now remember, in chapter 10, he said, you'll wait seven days till I come to you. I will be coming down to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. I will, Samuel says. In verse 9, in chapter 13, Saul says, bring them to me, and I will. Now remember, he had a prophetic experience, but that doesn't make him a prophet. It certainly doesn't make him the priest that, that Samuel is. And so he's been anointed to be king, and that's it. That's all he's been anointed to do. But now he decides he's going to step outside his lane. Huge red flag. If you ever get tempted to step outside your lane, you better seek the Lord and get confirmation and a sign, fleece him, whatever you got to do to find out before you step into something like that. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. He offered the burnt offering. But I want to show you this. Verse 10, as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Now Samuel, no doubt, had seen the smoke rising. He'd offered these offerings many times. He knew what the smoke looked like. So I want to show you this. Uh, Saul has been waiting for seven days at Gilgal. He gets impatient because the people are getting impatient. They're getting scared. And he says, I'll do it. He doesn't know at that moment. Just like with the food and the spot at the table, he has no idea. Samuel's right around the corner. He has no idea that just a little ways off, Samuel's close enough, he can see the smoke when it comes up. And is this not a perfect example of the life of a believer? How often do we take a step, we do a thing, we say something we shouldn't say, we post something we shouldn't post, not knowing we were that close to getting through it untouched? Right? Hindsight, 2020. It's 2020. We look back and we're like, if I just hadn't said that thing or done that thing or gone there or been with those people, none of this would have happened. Same thing in the life of Saul. He was that close to being in the perfect will of God. But I want to show you, being that close and missing it, it might as well be a mile. Might as well be a mile. So Samuel shows up as soon as he finishes. And he says in verse 11, what have you done? And Saul said, since I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come at the appointed time. That's some guts right there. He just said to Samuel, you were late, bud. To Samuel, you were late. You didn't get here on time. You caused me to mess up. This is a side note, something Brandon Thomas and I were talking about this week, texting about. 
Blame is a great indicator that you've not truly repented. Right? Blame is an indicator that you have not truly repented. If you blame someone else for your sin, you're not sorry. You're not sorry for your sin. You're sorry you got caught. And those are different things. What did Adam do in the garden? The Lord, the woman you gave me, he wasn't sorry. What did, the, what did the woman say? The serpent beguiled me. The serpent didn't have anybody to blame. Blame is a powerful indicator that you're not truly repentant. If you are willing to blame somebody, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how legitimate your reasons. Sons and daughters of God, we are obligated to our Father first, to His Word. If He says we shouldn't do it, it doesn't matter what our spouse did that caused us to do it. It doesn't matter. In our mind it does. But that's why we're not God. That's why we need Him to work in us, right? So, it it, it doesn't matter. Blame is a powerful indicator. If you hear somebody blaming, they're not sorry. And and you need to pray that they figure out how to repent. Amen? But, you, you know, lots of people spend a lot of time trying to rationalize these failures with people that aren't sorry for what they did. You're not going to convince someone who's not sorry, okay? Side note, perfect example, though, here in the Scripture. You were not here on time, and the, and the Philistines were assembling at, at Michmas. He said in verse 12, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. But Saul, you're right where God told you to be. You're right where he wanted you to be. Why are you worried about the favor of God? Saul's senses were taking over. And, and listen, anointed men and women of God, we are not above that. Our senses take over sometimes. What we see and hear, the, the, the things that we learn, you know, momentum seems to be going, morale's going down. We got to do something. We got to have somebody in. We got to do something. Maybe not. Maybe we're right where God wants us to be, and that's okay. Maybe God's setting us up so that he may do something. And in the process, he's trying our hearts as well. I love this. So I worked up the courage and offered the burnt offering. I forced myself, yes. So, yeah, I think it's interesting because what does it say back in verse uh, verse 9? So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. Now, granted, it's text, so just like a text message, you can't exactly get all the emotion out of it. But it doesn't seem to me, it doesn't come across to me that Saul's like, oh, I guess bring them to me. I guess I can do it. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and maybe it was hard in their language to communicate that. It's entirely possible. But it seems to me like Saul is kind of fluffing up the, uh, the language here. I had to work up the courage to do this. But Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord, wait, I, I can't go there yet. Which he commanded you. If God commands you, you are accountable to do it. Anointed or not. King, priest, prophet evangelist, pastor, teacher, if God gives you a command, you are accountable to do it. And it doesn't matter what anybody else does. 
It just matters that you do it, all right? I know that seems elementary. I know it, it seems that way. But you'd be amazed how often it comes up. <laughs> you'd be amazed how often people are like, but, but things got tough. I didn't know, you know, or, or it didn't turn out like I thought it would, so I thought I should do this or that. Okay, we're obligated to God. Now, he said, you've acted foolishly. You did not keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. This is what was at stake, and Saul didn't know it. For the Lord would now have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Saul had no idea the potential that God had put upon his life. He had no idea the gravity of, of his anointing upon his generations. Saul didn't make it seven days. He had no idea. Do you understand the significance of what he said when he said he would have established your kingdom forever? Jesus would have come from Saul, not David. Do you understand? Saul would be reigning for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom on the throne in Jerusalem in, in our future. Would have been Saul, not David. It would have been Saul, the man after God's own heart, not David. Do you understand the significance? Jesus, thou son of Saul, have mercy on me. Not Jesus, thou son of David. This is what was at work, and Saul did not know it. He did not steward the transformative work in his heart that God was trying to do. And in a week, all of his potential was squandered. All of the plan that God had for him was blown into pieces in a week's time. Because he was where God wanted him to be, with the people God wanted him to be, but he decided to do something God did not command him to do. And all of that was at stake, and he had no idea. So, you know, we like anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Yeah, it is. It is. But that anointing breaks the yoke when it's on someone who is doing what God says, when God says, where he says, with the people he says, the way God says. That's when it breaks a yoke. It doesn't just break a yoke because you're anointed and you show up. If you're not right, if you're not in the right spot, and it won't protect you. It won't. Saul was anointed to be king. He was in the place God had called him to, doing what God had called him to do. One misstep, boom. God says, I'm going to look for somebody else. That's huge. That's huge, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people. Because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. So David was already, God was working on David over here. But God was willing to overthrow Saul's heart to get him to a place where he could do what God wanted him to do. And then he was going to do something else with David. We don't know what, but he was going to do something else. But because Saul couldn't make it seven days in his own lane, because his anointing went to his head, I guess, or because his senses took over, he blew it. And God says, I'm not going to, the next guy, I'm not going to have to overthrow his heart. I found somebody who's already got my heart. But the significance of that is that God was trying to give Saul his heart. He was trying to put into Saul this heart for his people and for his house and for his presence. All the things that we know David for, God wanted to put all of that into Saul. A man who it was not in already. 
And isn't that a gracious, mighty, awesome God? To take somebody who clearly did not have all that and say, man, I can, if he'll let me, I can put that in him. I can cultivate that in him. I'll anoint him and I'll use him and I'll put all that in him and he'll be a man after my heart. But then in the end, he wasn't because he chose not to do that. And you know the difference. See, what happened when, when Samuel showed up? Saul said, you didn't get here on time. It's your fault. What happened when David was confronted by Nathan the prophet? And Nathan the prophet said, you're the man who sinned. You're the man who took the lamb and defiled it. You're the man. What did, what did David do? He wrote Psalm, was it Psalm 54, I think it is. Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Two entirely different reactions to failure. David, the man who had God's heart, went to God and said, God, don't take it from me. God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Saul, the man who did not have God's heart but could have, told the prophet, it's your fault. If you'd been here on time, I wouldn't have done that. Same anointing. Two totally different responses. Interesting, isn't it? An interesting comparison. So we'll, we'll stop there. We're out of time. Well out of time. But we have to cover, I mean, we're going to talk about the power. We're going to talk about all that. It, it's powerful. It's been really cool, right? But if we ignore the pitfalls that come with it, we're all setting ourselves up for failure. God doesn't want anybody to fail. He gave Saul everything he needed to succeed. And Saul still blew it. And yeah, we've got Jesus, we've got the Holy Ghost, we've got all these different things. But if you think for a second you couldn't do what Saul did, you're setting yourself up for an appointment you don't want to keep. Amen? Because none of us are above it. None of us. All right? You received that word today? Cool. Did you learn something? Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you, God, because you're preparing the air of this house for the anointing that you have for us, God. We know you've put it on us for a long, long time. But, God, I believe you're assembling the people together for the season, Lord, to do what you've called us to do. And that together we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to see it, Lord. But, God, thank you for warning us. Thank you for teaching us what it means to be anointed and consecrated and set apart into a purpose. And, God, we ask you, Lord, just to overthrow our hearts if there's anything in us that's not from you. God, overthrow my heart if there's anything in me that's not from you, Lord. Give me a heart after your own. Lord, give it to me. Give it to me now before anybody knows anything about us, Lord. Give it to us all. We thank you for it, Lord. Move in this place today, God. Heal hurting people and save lost folks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's get ready for church. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.